Welcome to the Different Skill Notebook Podcast. The Different Skill Notebook is a tool for parents and educators to equip children and teens with the social, emotional, and independent skills needed to thrive in their life. The Different Skill Notebook is the result of the work of Dr. Sandra Savinelli and Anand Salma at the Social Mind Center. They found that parents and educators cannot always identify the skills needed to overcome some of the barriers that the child is experiencing to learning and thriving. The notebook identifies the different skills, tools, and resources needed to overcome some of the learning barriers and differences that are experienced by children and teens today. These are different times, requiring different skills and tools. Join us as we share our smart conversations with our parents, educators, and colleagues to give children the life skills and social adaptation needed to thrive in environments that keep changing. Welcome everyone to the Different Skill Notebook podcast. And this is our part two with Melissa Pascucci. We left off last time. It was kind of on a high note, I think. We were talking about, she was thinking about a new job change, new career change. And in the last podcast, we were talking about after high school, employment for neurodivergent people and different pathways, whether it's college or different career training. And Melissa shared about the Damarino campus and she graduated from there, and then she started working at um, Bahama Breeze. And then we came to the point where she kind of knew that was not for her. That was not what she kind of wanted to do with her life. And she started exploring the possibility of new opportunities. And I think what's important about where we left off is she really emphasized that although she had a job, she stayed connected with her community. She stayed connected with the Reno campus and she attended a lot of their professional events. And this is what helped her find a new pathway and a new career. So I want her to start sharing about that, but I just kind of wanted to give us a little bit of a review of where we left off. And I also want to share why I feel this podcast is so important, this series that I'm doing with her. I hope that we'll do plenty more. We value at the Social Mind Center tremendously giving a voice to the neurodivergent community. And what that means is we get to hear what they think about things. And it's not just about what we think or what neurotypical people think they should do. I feel they should have a voice and I feel we should listen and I feel we should respect their perspective as well. And I think this is how we can all learn to work better together and help the neurodivergent community is by listening to what they're thinking and what they want for their life. So welcome, Melissa. I'm glad you decided to come back and we were able to do it so quickly after our first podcast. And so tell us a little bit about where we left off, where you knew that Bahama Breeze was not really what you wanted to do. So you started to explore um, next steps. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, whenever Marino Campus would have an event, I would always be like one of the first few people to uh, to sign up and to want to go there. And throughout the events, throughout the years, 
they've had quite a few. They've had uh, one particular thing that that stands out to me is the Academy. And that wasn't really so much an event as well as was kind of like um, a continuation to continue learning. It was a program. Yeah, like where- everyone has professional learning and continuing education, right? Yeah. So that was for any student that wanted to participate and be a part of it. So I signed up and I was there for quite a few months. But as it turns out, budgeting wasn't on our side on this. So unfortunately, they had to cut it short. But throughout the academy, we each received mentors. And one of the mentors that was there in the academy was named uh, Gabby. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what was the purpose of the mentor other than a traditional mentor role. What would the mentor do with you? Basically, they would try to help guide us right, to help us find paths where we felt like, uh, you know, and give us experience with jobs where we could, uh, where we felt like we could do that we were capable of, where we felt like uh, we were comfortable with and really explore our uh, potential. That's wonderful. And Gabby, I know because she was an intern at the Social Mind Center and she is now a social worker and that's her background. So that that's like a perfect match for a mentor because they work on networking in the community and seeing what programs are available in the community and matching people with services. So that's like a great mentor to have other than she's like a really cool person and very fun as well. So, okay. So she provided you with some guidance and what did that evolve into? What happened after? Um, well, she told me about the social mind center, about you guys. Okay. She said, you know, I think that you would be a perfect fit for, because originally she wasn't actually my mentor. Okay. It was just one of the mentors. Okay. Um, but when the academy was coming to an end, which I was really disappointed at, Um, when she found out that my goal was to help people who have autism, you know, like me, you know, with Asperger's or on the spectrum, she reached out and she said, you know, I think this, uh, this place, Social Mind Center would be a perfect fit for you. And why did she think it was a perfect fit? I mean, tell us about how your interests shifted a little bit and you became a little interested in working with the neurodivergent community. Mm -hmm. Right. Tell us a little bit about that. I think she probably could see that it was there, even when I couldn't see it myself. I had always been open about how maybe not so much my parents, but how I felt kind of like a little bit of an outsider because I'm the only one in my family that has Asperger's. Okay. And um, so I think she understood that and she knew how much I, you know, she could see how much I really wanted to help them. Okay. And she had been at the center too. And she had been working there on her internship, um, a little different scope, um, but she knew the environment. So she was aware of it. So, you know, she definitely thought it was worth a try. And she did contact me and we had never found ourselves in this type of internship opportunity. But actually what it did was, you know, Melissa not only opened a door for the center to now consider different types of interns. In the past, we only had um, interns that were speech pathologists that were getting their master's in speech pathology and needed to have 
hours in actual therapy or observation. The same with social workers, like Sam had a couple of interns as well, but I never really had any interns for me on the administrative area. And I never had, um, we never even thought of how much someone can learn by being at the center and being exposed to a lot of our programming and having the opportunity to see some of the interventions and participate in them. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your first impression when you came to the center? Because that's important how, how you saw the center. At first, I didn't know what to think. But, you know, like as the day went by, I was like, I was like, wow, like this is like so totally incredible. You know, and the kids were really sweet and they were happy. I felt like whenever I would go in with a session, you know, just to be there, you know, just to see and just to, you know, participate and help whenever I could, I felt like I was learning too. Right. Because we started out by exposing you to social groups and Mm -hmm. you shattering Dr. Sandra and seeing how she would run the social groups. And that gave you the opportunity to meet a lot of the kids at the center which not all of our kids at the center are on the spectrum, but they're a neurodivergent population Mm -hmm. for sure. And um, I think this gave you a chance just to observe and see what we try to do. And it opened up, you know, your mind a little bit. I think therapy's changed a bit, you know, probably from when you were younger, you know, and there's different methodology and, um, and definitely there's different methodology at the center, but I think this component of just observing was, was awesome for you. Then you kind of got involved with the Brick Club, which is awesome because we totally miss you. You know, you yeah. were such an integral piece of it. But the Brick Club is a social club that we created about a year ago, pretty much about the same time, more than a year and a half ago, which is crazy, around the same time you came to intern yeah. at the center. It's a child-led play program where the kids come and and build projects together and we promote collaborative play so we help them with their roles and I think talk a little bit about what that was like for you because now you transitioned from observing to actually taking on a role as somebody running a team of builders as a moderator and you participated in the training with play included has an initiate session where you get about 16 hours of training on how to run a brick by brick program club. So tell us what your first thoughts were on that. Cause I know you were nervous. I was very nervous, not at the prospect of my possibly failing, but at the prospect of my possibly failing those kids. And I, I was very scared, but as I went forward with it, I was like, you know what? I got to do this. You know, this is something I got to do. And it's like, who knows where I could be really helping. And so I pushed myself to go through with it and it was the best. Like I learned so much. And I saw you grow. I remember when you first started coming to the center, you were very um, nervous and what what was exciting was it was new for all of us, right? You were kind of at the beginning of the creation of this um, program because 
we had just started it. I had just gotten training on it. Dr. Sandra did. So everybody was new to it. So you were kind of part of the beginning of a program, which is kind of always nerve wracking because you don't always know what's going to happen. Like you have your plan and at the beginning, it was kind of like a little bit scary for all of us. And I remember every time we did a session, we had a four o'clock and a five o'clock session and we had kids come in and we had different teams and different moderators overseeing um, each team with their building project. And you would help me set up and organize and plan out what they could build. So there was like a lot of planning and organizing. And then when we would actually get started, a lot of times it didn't work out the way we expected it to. So it was like a huge learning curve. And I guess, you know, that was a little hard for you. You know, I think it made you a little stressed. In a good way, because you know what, something you have to remember is that not everything is going to go as planned. And that's a good thing. And it's hard for me because I like to stick to routine and, and all that. But it's a good experience for me in a way that because I'm surrounded by people that understand that for once, you know? Right, right. And then we, you know, sometimes it went better than planned. We should say that, Yeah, you know, like we thought it was going to go this way, but it kind of went better. And sometimes the kids um, made changes, you know, things changed up a little bit. It, It was for the better. And I think that the lesson with the Brick Club, which is a social club, is that when we're in a social situation, it is very hard to predict what's going to happen next. You can have like a structured session, but kids can be spontaneous. So spontaneous things can happen. So I think what I learned from the Brick Club and I do now with all my interns, thanks to the I learned with you is that you and I, after every session, we would kind of unpack what happens. And what could we have done better? And what could we change? What could we do differently? And I think that was helpful. And I think that helped you learn new ways and kind of be a little bit. I think at first you weren't so accepting or tolerant of yourself. Like I remember talking to you and saying, Melissa, it's okay if we make mistakes, we're all making them at the same time. It's not just you, right? So I think it's important if you're, if you have interns that you be very supportive and that you give feedback because it's a learning process. And you actually taught me a lot about how you learn and what worked for you, what didn't work for you. And I think it's helpful to discover together what works best for everyone, right? Involved. And what I, yes. And what I learned is that even teachers aren't perfect. You know, they they make mistakes and we try to get things right because we try to do right by the kids that we're teaching. That's the most important thing. And it's like, it's kind of like that old saying, no such thing as a bad student, only a bad teacher. And you kind of want to, you kind of want to be the teacher that's not the bad teacher. Well, and I think what I've learned with Brick Club, I mean, Brick Club, we could do a whole session just on Brick Club, right? Because there's so much learning. It's promoting the learning through play. And I think What I've learned is that sometimes you need to be more involved in the process and the product. And I think that people can get stuck on 
the product. Like, no, we need to finish this. We need to yes. finish this project versus kind of enjoying the process of the project on, you know, just being together and working together. What so, you're really supposed to be learning from the project is, is exactly. teamwork and work. That's the main thing. And when I say that there's no such thing as a bad student, only a bad teacher, I just mean that you can become a good teacher by learning from the students instead of just expecting that the students learn from Absolutely. you. And one thing we learned is by including our kids in Brick Club and asking them what they thought about the session and what they wanted to do. Together, we could come up with a better process and something yes. that is more enjoyable for them. And also we all learn together. We learn how to, I think one of the big things that I ask the kids now is, okay, well, this is our plan. This is where we left off last time. This is what we planned to do today. But is this what we want to do? Do we want to do something different? Are we tired today? So allowing a little room of flexibility when you're working with kids, especially neurodivergent kids, giving them that kind of space and the, freedom. Say, and the freedom to give feedback and say, oh, yeah, I'm really tired. Because I know with a lot of our master builders, I've learned in the last couple of sessions that sometimes they want to do something easy to build to just kind of distract their mind and not think so hard because their brain is yeah. tired. But okay, so let's talk now. You stayed at the center for like a year interning, really. And um, it was a paid internship. And you Yes. Your focus, done yeah, your focus was Brick Club, which was awesome because it was yeah. a huge help to me. So then somewhere along the line, you got reintroduced to Marino Campus. So tell us a little bit about that, you know, while you were interning with me, then that transition. Um, see, I got involved in this mentorship program that was being run by one of the um, people that works there, Gabby. There was an event, and at this event, she introduced this mentorship program to us, uh, you know, to a few other alumni. I had no idea that that's what was going on when I accepted the invite. Um, right. So she mentored you, and then she called you back to see if you would be interested in mentoring, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't think it was the same Gabby that mentored me. Right. Right. Another Gabby. Uh, yeah. 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 So, so I got involved in the mentorship program and, you know, that's where we talk and we help set up events and we really get involved. And um, it was somewhere through there, you know, like I had spoken to her how much, you know, campus means to me and how much I really want to help people on the autism spectrum, you know, to make them feel like they're not so alone, you know, to avoid going through what I went through when I was growing right. up. Right. And right. so somewhere in there, um, they approached me, um, Lauren, Lauren Ferguson, she approached me. She said, you know, we have this job that I think you would be perfect for. It's a, and we, we need a mentor here at Marino campus. And we think that you would be perfect fit for the job. And that's kind of like a teacher's aid in a sense. Right. And so it, I was like it, over the moon. It's like, yeah, I want to do it. And you had already gotten like some exposure to that. Not yeah. just with Brick Club, but you had been in the center long enough to know that a lot of our kids have difficult times during their days, and you were already supporting a lot of the kids and helping them 
learning how to cope and manage their stress and, you know, getting back on task and helping them, you know, kind of get through the things they need to get done, which sometimes on certain days can be very difficult for some kids. It can be difficult for all of us, but I think learning to support neurodivergent people as they're trying to learn and um, evolve and acquire skills is a big skill. And I think you were kind of like a natural at it because you were pretty patient, you know, and calm and, and deep down inside, you have their best interest at heart. You really want to support them. Yeah. You really wanted them to succeed. People on their side. Right. And feel like someone's on their side. So then this was kind of like a perfect transition from our internship to this. Yeah. So now tell us about what happened because that's evolved too. Like you went from the mentorship, now you went to job coaching people on site. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Well, okay. Well, first I want to say like when I was working at um, Social Mind Center, I knew that from the first day, after the first day, that this was something that I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And so, I had never done job coaching before, and I had just gotten involved in Marino campus with the mentorship. I was a little bit to say that I was a little bit nervous would be an understatement. Oh, I, I bet. I know. I remember yeah. you being nervous at the center, you know, um, yeah. and when you're done saying this, I want to talk about because you're talking so much about different opportunities that you had to be exposed to to different things and how important that is. But finish telling us you were really scared about the, yeah. the, yeah. the next um, phase. And it's just being responsible for these uh, two or three, you know, young adults, you know, getting them the experience and trying to make sure that they get their job done right and, and all of that. And I was pretty scared. Um, but, you know, as they went forward, um, kind of build yourself up into a routine where you get relaxed you get comfortable you do things and you get yeah. familiar and I mean when you're first starting out you don't you, it's the unknown but then you know you start to see a pattern in yeah certain and the thing of it paths. is though you learn more about the students that you're um yes my two students that I was working with you'll find that every student is different from the other not every student that works together is the same Just like there are different levels of autism and Asperger's, some are higher, some are low. Yeah, and you got exposed to that at the center because we have a huge variation of kids on the spectrum that are very highly intelligent and skilled. And a lot of them have potential, but, you know, they need help kind of learning to cope. Coping is a big, would you say coping is probably one of the biggest things that autistic individuals need to do, learn to deal with the stress that occurs with the environment? Yeah, I I would say that indefinitely. And that would have helped me a lot when I was younger. I found that every student that I've worked with is essentially different from the other. One needs more attention than the other does. So like one, you, you can leave for about a half hour. Not that I would recommend that on a job site. You have to check in every now and then. But just as an example, one you can leave alone for about a half hour, an hour, probably most of the day. While there's another that you need to check on every five minutes and be with. 
you know, and, right. right. And you'll find as hard as it is, we want students. I want students. I want the kids, every kid that I'm working with to see that they do have potential. They have the potential right. to get a job, even if it takes years for them to be able to do it. Well, that's an important point. You've made some really important points. First of all, exposure, right? You you talked about how you have to stay connected and you have to attend events and you have to participate in the community. Just because this exposure increases your ability to learn to cope. I mean, if you never go to anything or you never participate, it's going to be a lot harder for you to learn to cope and adapt. But also you learn something new from every experience. So exposure is humongous. But then also too, I think when we're talking to families and parents, um, educators and professionals that work with the autism community, it's helping them understand that sometimes some autistic people will take longer to acquire a skill than other people. And mm -hmm that you should be patient about that and not give up. You know, um, yeah. it may just require more repetition and more consistency on a certain skill than other students, right? So yeah. you just can't, and I think that's kind of one of the challenges now for the autism community that in education and in professional training or in college, everything is so fast. And would it be in a different pace, things would be a little more manageable for them. Right. So, um, yeah, that's important that you approach your students with um, the expectation that they all have the potential to learn these skills. Some of them will just take longer than others. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So with your job coaching, what would you say to parents who have a young adult that may be considering the Marino campus or uh, maybe considering an employment um, training program, what would you say they could do to help their child get prepared for this transition after high school, right? I would say for them to start getting them used to the idea of them being a little bit more independent a little bit at a time. You know, with our students, we try to get them to be independent when they're at Marino campus as much as we possibly can. Right. It's at home. That's a little bit more of a challenge because parents, you know, they're always, they're, they're very protective of their kids and they just, they want what's best for them and, and all of that. But at the same time though, they need to get them to, um, to be a little bit more, yeah, they need to be promote independence more. And yeah, I think we try to do with a little bit at a time, you know, right. like having them like schedule their own tops, maybe, or maybe just being there, you know, when they schedule their tops, but having them make the call, right? Having them right. make maybe uh, make their own lunches, right? And so maybe, I was telling the parents of the young adults at the center that what the parents need to start to think about right because now they're not going to be at school they're going to be with an employer 
right? So an employer definitely will provide support, but they want them to be as independent as possible and not need as much assistance to complete a job. So what parents want to consider is how much can my child do by themselves without my help? And then yeah. start to take it right there. Right. And, right? and then follow through with it. Yes, pick one or two things. Yeah, that maybe they're, how much can my child do this task without me helping them? You know, and if they cannot do the task without me helping them, how can I help them become more independent with this task so that they don't need to come to me? You know, maybe they need a checklist. Maybe they need some reminders. Maybe they need, you know, a visual instructions. But um, See, they got to up to the student you know like that again or the, the kid you know like they put them on the track now let's see how far they can that they can go you're always going to parents you guys are always going to be there and your kids know it your kids know that you will always be there to support them to help them but think about it like this you 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 set the track up you put them on it now it's up to you to give them the nudge but only they can move forward. Right. You can nudge them, you can push them, but if you keep having them put the brakes on, they're not moving. You right. keep allowing them to so put the brakes on. What do you think is the biggest, the hardest thing for you that you've noticed of a parent as a job coach? What have you noticed is the, the most challenging thing um, that presents with a parent and that parent and young adult dynamic? I've noticed that sometimes it's a little bit hard for as much as the parent tries and they do try. And this is from my own parents to, to understand what the child is going through with autism. There's so much disconnection there, you know, like they can't, you know, they try to, and they're definitely on the same page, but it's kind of like, they're learning more from the child than the child is from them. They want the child to learn from them. You know, like they want the child to be the way they want them to be. Okay. And I see. Maybe their expectations are not realistic. They're not aligned with the child's, you know, needs or the like child. They, they don't understand that the child doesn't get it in the way that they want them to. Right. You know, or like, at the speed or, or maybe, so it's like, maybe they start at a program in Dan Marino, and maybe they start in culinary, but it's not working, kind of like Bahama Breeze didn't work for you, right? Mm -hmm. So is it hard for the parent to shift and, and think, okay, we need to look at something different because this didn't, this isn't the best placement for them. This isn't the best placement for them. So is it hard for the it parent to the change? It was in the beginning with my parents. Okay. It, you know, I've told them like from the beginning, you know, I was like, it's like, I like the people there, but I just, I don't see my, I don't know what my hours are. And, uh, you know, I like to have a set schedule, but my parents. Yeah. You said it. it was not a structured environment. You needed a more yeah. structured environment to work. Yeah. In. And, right. and just my parents didn't get it. And that was one of our uh, big arguments. And right. another thing to parents is that, and I've had this argument with, with my parents, particularly my dad, you give your child advice. And even though it seems like they might not be listening, trust me, they are, they are listening. Even if it seems like they're not taking it, 
they're just taking it in a different way. They're coming up. Yeah, everybody their- processes information differently. And sometimes, you know, it also depends on the presenter, you know, how the information's presented. And, and sometimes it may be that the child or the young adult doesn't want to do that. And they don't know exactly how to express I don't want to do that. So I think parents do need to read the signs. And if there's something that their child is, you know, their young adult is really combating, it could be just that they don't want to do that. And you have to kind of back up and accept it versus forcing them to do something they don't want to do. And not assume that they're never listening to your advice because they are, they're hearing it. They're just... And a lot of times it's not always not something that they just don't want to do. It's just when they do take your advice, they come up with better ways that that they take it that works for everyone. Well, here's a good thing for you to say, like, because you and I have had this conversation before. We're talking about young adults now, like when somebody's past 18, 19, 20, 21, even though they're neurodivergent, they're an adult. So there is respect owed to them, right? And they should be considered in the process and respected because now they're an adult. They're no longer a young child. So I think parents really have a hard time with that, at least from my end. This is what I see all the time. Like, I really try hard to respect how my kids feel and how, you know, my children are young adults, you know, my son's 19, yeah. my daughter's 21. And I try to, even when they ask me for advice, because children will do that, you know, young adults will say, well, what do you think? But just because they're asking you for what you think, or what you would have done in that situation, or what you did in that situation, doesn't mean they're going to do that as well. It's just yeah. trying to get yeah. information, like yeah. they're trying to gather information. Like I know. My daughter does that a lot. She gathers information and then she that helps her make her decisions, right? Yes. So that's and that's what you parents need to understand is that you give the advice, but you need to trust that your kids, even if they don't exactly take it, it doesn't mean that they're not listening. And when you give them the advice, you need to remember that you're giving them the opportunity not to follow your advice to the letter but you're giving them the opportunity to learn from it so that they can understand their situation, their own situation in their own way, and maybe get out of a potential problem that they might have with their own ideas, ideas that you help them with because of this advice. Think of it as they're putting their own spin on it. They're putting their own spin. Right. Well, it's part of becoming an adult and part of becoming more independent, right? You start to think for yourself and do for yourself, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that parents have to allow for that. If they don't allow their kids to do for themselves how they do it, right? Because I think that's hard for some parents. Like, you know, I do it like this, but well, it can also be done like that. That It's not what you're used to. Right. It's not what you're used to, but it can be done different ways. Okay. So if we were to wrap up and tell our parents, I think we talked about um, our families. We talked about exposure, how important it is to consistently expose 
autistic people to different environments and opportunities to connect with the community and to connect, especially if they're in that season of finding a job, finding a career, it's important to try different things, meet people, stay connected to organizations that provide mm -hmm. professional yes. coaching and continuing education or events where they can network. But then also, and I think we could have a whole episode on independence, right? Like yes. Yes, parents can. doing their part on independence because parents say they want their children to be independent, but then they micromanage them or then they're like, oh, they don't do it like this or, and independence yeah. is a huge part of employment. Like, you know, you need to start to think of what things my kid, we were mentioning, what things does my child not know how to do without me? Like, it's like I said earlier, parents, you've set the track, you've made the track, you put them on it, you give them, them the nudge, now allow them to move forward right don't keep having them put the brakes on because if you keep having them put the brakes exactly. on exactly and then stay a little open we talked about all that too we stayed a little open how the tracks may change yes. like they might have been going for employment in this field but they found out that isn't what's best for them and i think what should be considered is that autistic people sometimes need an environment that isn't you know, an assault on their sensory and assault on their stress and anxiety. So quality of life is very important. And being in a place where they can cope with that environment is important. So if it didn't work out in this job, maybe there's another job and parents yeah. being flexible enough to, to know that there's more than one pathway, more than one career. Yes. And know too, that there's a difference between being able to, to do a job and being able to do a job and love the job. Exactly. And that, and that matters. And that matters a lot. I did a great job at Bahama Breeze as a busser but I didn't love it. And that's right. what kept me from exceeding it. Right. That's what right. just kept, you know, well, that's respecting, you know, the last thing we talked about was respect and respecting the individual, you're respecting your child as an adult and an individual and understanding that that may not be what they want to do and respecting also that they need an opportunity and a chance to explore something different and also rise to the occasion. Like, you know, you rose to the occasion at the yeah. center and that helped you to springboard into being a job coach and a teacher's assistant. And I think you need to give kids, you know, young adults the ability to rise to their to the occasion on their on their yes. own merit. Yes. Because trust parents, they're gonna surprise you. They're gonna yes. go far than you ever thought that they ever could. Like, and you just need to give them the opportunities to do so, right? You can't expect your child to believe in themselves if you make them feel that you don't believe in them. Absolutely. 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 How can you expect your child to believe in themselves and to know that they should believe in themselves when unintentionally of course unintentionally exactly make them feel like you don't believe in them exactly or are the parents being inflexible and stuck on 
it needs to look like this. It can look many different ways, you know. Um, mm -hmm. There's many different pathways, many different careers. And sometimes the way you find those, like you did, was exploring different things and it evolved into something different. So there's not always a highly defined track, right? Like, you know, this leads to this and this leads to that. Sometimes it requires a little bit of diverting your pathway and exploring new things and being patient, I think, with them finding their way and finding what is best for them. And that makes them happy and enriches their life because quality of life is very, very, yes. very important. Very important. Yes, very important. Well, well, is there any last thoughts, Melissa? I think we covered some pretty big three things. There is one last thought. There okay. is one thing to add. Parents, when it comes to your advice, just know that your kids are listening. Even when it seems like they're not, they are. And kids, um, young adults, always remember that your parents do mean well and that, and this is for both you and your parents, that even though parents, you might think that you understand exactly what it is that your child is going through in terms of autism, it's important to understand that you don't understand as well as they do, even if you think you do. And kids, young adults, you've also got to understand that even though you feel that your parents don't understand, and at times it, that may be the case, you have to remember that the most important thing is they're trying. They're willing to be on the same page and both you and parents just have to meet each other halfway. Yes, and keep insisting, hear me out, Yes. Listen to me. I yep. mean, I thought maybe we can talk about self-advocacy next time and how to, you know, how to have some difficult conversations with parents and how to self-advocate for yourself in our next session, you know, because this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on. Yes, sure. That. Yes. Kids, one word to parents, hear me. And parents, one word to the kids, listen. Yes listen absolutely absolutely and sometimes right with our nonverbal community they're expressing themselves either through their device or through their stress if they're mm -hmm. very stressed doing something or in a certain environment on a consistent basis maybe that's just not the place for them and you need to be able to read that rather than just going down the road of they'll get used to the stress uh that's not very respectful of their needs right um their yeah. needs you know if someone's you know reacting very aggressively or stressed out to a certain situation continuing to expose them to that is probably not in their best interest right yeah. um so we need to listen, not just to words, but in our community, sometimes we need to listen to what we see and the bodies and the stress and the reactions because communication happens more than one way, right? It's not just verbal sometimes. It's, it can be very nonverbal, right? So yes. but I really appreciate you taking the time, Melissa, and always to share your experience because I think it's a wonderful experience and I think we can explore all different Yes. other areas that you have, you know, some of the challenges that you've overcome, I think they would be really encouraging to the neurodiverse community Absolutely, um, and be very supportive about it. So um, I appreciate you 
very, very much. And we miss you at the center very, very much. Oh, but okay. know you'll be back soon. You'll be back yes. soon to help us out. All right. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us at the Different Skill Notebook. The script is available on the Podbean site and at socialmindcenter.com. We can also be reached through our website.